So what we have been studying over the last uh, couple weeks has been this theme of where, where is Jesus taking you? Particularly as we've looked in this passage of Luke, we're, we're in Luke 18 today, we've actually seen Jesus on the road to Jerusalem. But kind of, kind of in a, a figurative sense, where is he taking us? What does it mean to follow him as a disciple. And I hope we listen clearly over the next few weeks because I think the Lord's going to give us uh, some answers in, as we approach his word. So today we're in Luke chapter 18. If you have a copy of God's word, um, if you picked up one of the, the Bibles in the back, it'll be page 605. So Luke chapter 18, let's begin reading in verse 1. These are the words of the Lord. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? As part of following Jesus, as part of following him wherever he is taking us, as part of following him, a, a normal part of our discipleship will be, we'll be praying to him. If you remember last week, we're waiting on the Son of Man to come. That's what Luke 17 is about. We're waiting on the Son of Man to come and be revealed for all he is, for who he's promised to be. But what do we do in the meantime? In the meantime, we pray. I think that's the connection in Luke 18. As a matter of fact, Luke 18.1, Jesus tells them a parable, but Luke gives us insight into exactly the reason why Jesus was telling them this parable. He says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray. This is why Jesus is going to tell the story that we're going to look at this morning. He's telling them for this reason, so so that we, his followers, would always pray and we would not lose heart. We would not, some of your translations will say, not faint or not give up. So there's an activity of prayer that we would pray always, but then there's kind of something going on in, on the inside, our expectation, our motivation to keep doing it, to not lose heart. So when we see that instruction from Jesus to always pray and not lose heart, my guess is there's, I don't know, a, a, a continuum, a spectrum of feeling when we hear Jesus give that explicit kind of instruction, I want you to pray always, or at least the reason why he gave this parable is that. So I would imagine there's some, I I would think it's probably not a majority. I would think it's probably a a small minority would say, actually, Curtis, today, as I sit here, September 17th, I'm praying pretty well. I feel like I'm doing okay in this area. 
It's a, it's a strength of my spiritual walk. How often I pray, how little I lose heart. Maybe that is a small percentage. I would guess many fall into another category or at least somewhere on the spectrum saying, actually, Curtis, prayer is a real struggle. It's not that I don't do it, but I recognize I, I don't pray always. If I'm being totally honest, which we should, we're in church, but you should always be honest, right? You would say, I, I often do lose heart. It's a real struggle for me. It's not as consistent as I'd like for it to be. I think that's where a lot of us land. And then there may be others who find themselves in another place and you say, I actually, I'm kind of to the point of what's the use? I'm borderline, like I don't, I don't even know if it's worth it. I think especially to those, the second and third categories or places on this kind of continuum, I think Jesus has a lot to say to us in this story. Those that would say prayer is a struggle and those that would say, I, I am this close to wondering, like, where, what's, what's the use? I would think there's probably a range of guilt when we hear pray always. I would think we, we would feel like, I, I don't know that I land where Jesus wants me to land on this issue. And I take great heart in this church. I take great heart that Jesus knew this would be an issue. Jesus isn't telling us to not give up because he thought this would be easy. He knew you and I would struggle. He knew you and I would say, yeah, sometimes I'm actually not that consistent. So Jesus is telling us something, absolutely anticipating you to go, I don't know that I do that this well. I, 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 I think I could do better. I think there is some room for me to grow. Some parables we have to work hard and understand, but I, I love this one. Because it is front-loaded and unmistakable. Jesus is going to tell this story so that we would not lose heart, so that we would pray always. Let's work hard to understand what the parable is all about. We're going to just walk through the characters and what's going on in the story. But then let's work hard to make sure we apply it so that it has the result that Jesus had in mind in telling the story. So in understanding the parable, maybe a great place to begin is just to look at some of the main characters. The first character is this judge. And it tells us about this judge. I mean, this is a made-up story of Jesus. But he's picking the characters intentionally. He's giving us the details he wants us to know. So he tells us about this, this judge. And he says, this judge, there's a lack of God in his life. He doesn't fear God. He doesn't see himself answering to any sort of higher authority. And there's, there, there's no fear of God driving him. So he sits on the bench. He makes his judgments. And he doesn't really give a flip about what a God, if there is a God, thinks. That's where he is. And he also doesn't really care about people. It says he has no respect for people. That, that's not that he's just impartial. That's, he doesn't care about people. He's just glad to go through the motions. I mean, this is, a, this is a judge that that should be a concerning thing that he actually doesn't care at all about people. And, and yet he's in a very powerful position. So lots of people will come into his court and they tell us that back in those days, the court was a little bit more chaotic. So it's not like everybody be quiet. It's like, think New York Stock Exchange. Everybody's just shocking to get their cry heard. Someone, pay attention to me. I, I've got this situation. This judge says, I don't care about them. I don't care about God. If there is one, I'm just doing my thing. And he's in a very powerful position to have a big impact on people's lives. So we have the judge, but then there's the widow. And her condition is a difficult one. She is without a protector in a male-dominated society. Widows often had no means of financial support. There's no pension here. No life insurance, no social security that she can rely on. 
what, what widows could do is get some sort of financial settlement, settlement from the husband's family that might help her if she used it wisely. And if she got enough, it would help her in days to come. That, that's really where she's left. She's at a very vulnerable spot. And it seems like whatever, whatever justice she needs at that moment, she's not getting. It hasn't gone well. And to get justice, think about it. She has to enter into a male-dominated world And she has to approach an unsympathetic judge. What I think Jesus is wanting us to feel in this story is, good luck with that. That's probably not going to happen. It's terrible. It's sad. Shouldn't be that way. But this is the way the world works. And we would not expect her to get any sort of justice. But then, it's not just her condition that Jesus tells us. It tells us about her activity. So she just absolutely pesters this judge. I, I don't know what that looked like in her day and time or in Jesus' setting that, that day and time. But imagine, I mean, imagine the judge walks out to his house and like he, he goes to get in his car and she's standing at the driveway saying, I've got that issue that I've been telling you about. And he goes to the courtroom and somehow she's landed a seat right in front. And she's kind of waving her arms. I've got that issue that, that I, I need justice for. And, and at recess, he goes to the lunch break and he goes to his favorite restaurant and she happens to have the table next to his and she's just reminding them. And, and maybe she's on social, social media and she, she tweets and she, she Facebooked and she hashtags him and just wants the whole world to know this, this needs to be dealt with. Maybe she finds his number. Maybe she direct messages him. She, she texts him. She does whatever she can. She is going to get it done. This is the only weapon at her disposal, Right? This is all she can do. She's got to get his attention that way. So she pesters, she pesters, she pesters. That isn't so, it's not so foreign for me to place myself into what that kind of position might be like. You see, I have three children. And when they really, really want to watch TV, I'm not saying the one, one present would ever do this, but when they really, really want to watch TV, Daddy, can we watch this? Can we watch this? Can we watch this? Can we watch this? Can we watch it now? Can we watch it now? And just, I mean, it's a a war of attrition at this point. Like, can I hang on? And then what immediately is the death blow in this war of attrition is I get a phone call and I got, I have to take the phone call. Daddy, and and, and it just ramps up. And I'm like, I'm not giving the gestures. Yeah, you know, go away, go away. And then finally, it's like, Daddy, can we watch TV? Can we watch TV? And finally, finally, not because I'm good-hearted, but because I'm just worn down. Go watch it. Go watch it. Go watch it. Go watch it. They have pestered me. I've broken down. I've done what I didn't want to do. I just want them out. I just want them out of the room. I got a phone call to take. See, I, I think I can relate to the judge in this posi- position. He has here no higher motivation that made him act other than he just didn't want to fool with it anymore. When we read a story like this, I mean, Jesus is going to use this story to teach us something. And our our initial, like, well, what are we supposed to learn here? It's very interesting. Did you notice in, I think it's verse 6, Jesus says, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Could Jesus be telling us to learn something from this unrighteous judge? Well, I think there's lots of ways we learn things. Could Jesus be taking what this unrighteous judge says and, and somehow applying it so that we would pray always and not lose heart? I think there's different ways to learn things. Sometimes we learn things by comparison. So we might say, be like the judge or be like the widow. 
I think some things we learn by contrast. Something different's going on. I think that's what's going on here. It's a contrast. What is different about what is going on? What does Jesus want us to take away from this, this story that he told? The way that this story works is to teach us, it kind of goes from something lesser to something greater. I think that's the, the paradigm that Jesus wants us to process here. Something lesser that he's going to use to say, if that's the case, then how much more? So let's apply as we ask that question, how much more? If this goes on in a, an earthly environment, how much more with your heavenly father? So let's, let's walk through those comparisons. We, we started off with the unjust judge. What Jesus is going to remind us of is you have an unjust judge who actually acted. But how different is it when it's God Almighty? How much more should you expect God to care? It is God we're talking about here, not an unjust judge. You see, the the unjust judge saw himself as really accountable to no real higher power. It seems that he had no real concern for human beings, especially those who could be easily taken advantage of. Jesus refers to him as unjust. That's not a good quality for a judge to have. And, And he lays that comparison so that we say, how much more is God? God it says in Genesis 18, 25, shall not the God of the earth do right? Yes, he will. As it says in Psalm 145, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and is kind in all his works. Did you hear that? How different God is compared to this judge. He is kind in all his works. He loves people. He works things for their good. He's a stronghold and a refuge. The righteous run into him and they are kept safe. In light of this righteous God, we should be praying consistently. We should pray always and we should not lose heart because we don't have an unjust judge that we're trying to get to do something we need. We talk to a God that cares. Notice that the, the next comparison in the story. We have, a, we have a widow, but Jesus compares the widow with God's elect. That's the term Jesus uses. Whereas the widow is vulnerable, the widow has no real expectation of any help from the judge. This is an against all odds kind of scenario. How much different? How much different is it for those that are God's elect, God's chosen? That's what the word elect means. And, and it's entirely unfortunate that when, you, when some hear the word elect or chosen, they begin to have scenarios and controversies and want to make it all about when it's just a simple matter that God has chosen people. This is at the heart of the gospel. God loves people. He has chosen to adopt people. He's chosen to love us. He has chosen to, to send his son in our place. He has shown us that we matter to him. We are his. What a different place that puts us than where the widow is. Don't make this needlessly controversial. This word of God's choice. This is the heart of the gospel. It says it like this in John 15, 16. Jesus says it very clearly. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 says, you are you're pilgrims, but you're, you're chosen pilgrims. You're elect exiles. First Peter 2.9 says, you are a chosen race. The heart of the gospel is that while we were re- rebelling against God, while we were still, still sinners, Christ loved us. Christ died for us. Christ chose us. 
in light of praying consistently. On those days where I'm just tempted to give up. On those days when I'm tempted to lose heart. I'm not in the position that this widow is. My status is different than hers. I'm actually one of God's chosen. I belong to him. I matter to him. Will he not listen to me pray? Will he not hear me cry out? Jesus wants you to know he will. He's listening. I think there's another kind of lesser to greater comparison, kind of a how much more, and that is this widow is known for her pestering. That's what the story is. As a matter of fact, I mean, even the judge says, she's going to beat me down. There's, there's differences of opinion. Does he mean that literally? Or is it just emotionally? He's, she's just going to pound him down until she gets what she wants, this pestering. The judge only acts because he lost like I lose in the war of attrition. His answer, did you notice this? His answer is really only a means to get that widow out of his presence. That's the only reason why he's answering. He doesn't want to see her anymore. He doesn't want to hear from her anymore. Good riddance. There, you got what you want. Don't ever bother me again. I mean, that's the whole tone. And so we've got pestering. But Jesus says it's very different for his, God's elect who cry out day and night, who cry out, God's people, who are crying out to him. This isn't pestering God. God has given us an invitation. Do you think it's pestering? Do you think it's pestering when, when God has said, call to me and I will answer you? Do you think it's pestering God when he says, seek me? while I may be found. Do you think it's pestering Jesus when he says, come to me, all those who are weary and heavy laden. This is burdened down by life and I will give you rest. Do you think it's pestering to Jesus when he says, ask and seek and knock? Do you think you're just trying to play a war of attrition with him? You're not. He's actually given you the invitation. It's the father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom That's exactly what Jesus said after he taught them how to pray. We have so many invitations. We have several places where we see God's heart is that people talk to him, to pray to him on a regular basis. Even if it's not like, yeah, I prayed for an hour today. Even if it's not that. Even if it's I prayed five times for a minute today. It's praying continually. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. Romans 12, 12, be constant in prayer. Ephesians 6, 18, praying at all times in the spirit. Colossians 4, 2, continue steadfastly in prayer. That isn't meant to kind of pile up the guilt. If it does that, it's doing the wrong thing. It actually is to encourage the invitation to say, come. It would be like you caring for a friend saying, please, 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 if you ever need me, call me. Please, let's stay in touch. Please, let's talk. We have this open invitation. And in asking and giving, it isn't, like this is what I have to work on in my head and in my heart. It's not as if like I'm going to pester God and then he'll say, here's what you want. I'm going to shoot the prayer up and he's going to answer it by, you know, good grade on the test or I get the job or the meeting goes well and then I won't bother him anymore. That is so opposite of what's going on in this parable. God is very different than that. In asking and giving, So we ask, he gives, that only deepens this relationship.
It deepens our appreciation for who we have as our Heavenly Father. It doesn't give us, Jesus said, rocks when we ask for bread. We feel the depth of his love. Deepens our delight in God and the delight God has in providing for his children. That's why even in Psalms, so David would say, I, I cried and the Lord heard me. You think that's as if, and the Lord heard me and told me, don't bother me again. I've given you, like, I've answered the prayer for 2017. You just deal with the rest of the year on your own. Don't bother me again. It's so opposite. Do you see it's how much greater? In light, of, in light of praying consistently, not losing heart, we should remember this. And, and then even as the parable goes, I think a step further. I think we have the widow de- desiring justice, demanding justice, pestering over justice. But when I look at like how much greater we we pray for justice as well, and we seek justice, but it's actually justice plus. It's not just justice alone. All she wanted was for, for this situation to be made right. And, and we cry out for that too. And we cry out for more. We desire justice. We cry out to God for it. God set things right. The fact is, sometimes we live in such a comfortable world where not too many things go wrong and we don't feel injustice all that often, perhaps. We insulate our our lives and it seems to work pretty well and so we rarely even think we need to ask God to set things right. It's hard to appreciate a world in which many people do live in injustice. But let some small thing in our life, let some issue at work go wrong and our justice meter begins to (laughs) go high. Let a friend be mistreated. That's not right. We begin to feel the heart beat. Or we're sick or a family situation where we feel taken advantage of. Or we look at the, those that are in a, a very vulnerable spot. Scripture identifies those pretty regularly as the widows, the orphans, the immigrants, or, or even a minority. We're, we, we look at those that could be easily taken advantage and we, we say, Lord, bring justice for them. We look at the persecuted believers around the world. So we're worshiping and, and freedom today and we recognize there are those that aren't and they're crying out for justice. We think of, of those that would live in those Christians, those brothers and sisters in Christ that would live in a, a, an area that is controlled by ISIS or, or Boko Haram in, in Africa. I mean, you, you begin to recognize like prayers for justice totally make sense there. It's the prayer of Revelation chapter 6 and verse 9 when those that have been slain for the word of God cry out with a loud voice saying, Oh, sovereign Lord, how long before you judge and avenge our blood? I I would never minimize these cries for justice, but the Lord doesn't just give us an invitation to pray for justice. We should pray for that. But we pray, we're told to pray about everything. Yes, we're told to make things right in particular situations. We ought to carry that burden. But we're told to cast all our cares on the Lord. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything, Paul says in Philippians 4. Jesus says, pray, asking that his name, that God's name would be hallowed. Pray, wanting his kingdom, his reign to come. Pray, wanting his will to be done. Pray, asking for his provision and forgiveness and guidance and protection. Pray, asking that the Holy Spirit would come and guide and convict and assure God hears. God hears. How much more? How much more? Jesus brings all this together in the last few verses here. And it takes a a surprising turn. So in verse 7, 
Jesus says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? And notice the word here. I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. So there's a pace that Jesus talks about. And that, that makes this passage not quite as simple. Because we look at it and say, so God's going to bring justice speedily? Not from my vantage point. This world's been a wreck. It seems to be getting worse. It seems like the Lord's delaying that. How can, how can this promise be to bring it speedily? And then we're left, is it that we know the passage a day is like a, a thousand years with the Lord and a thousand years are like a day. And in, in the meantime, God shows patience, gives many an opportunity to repent. Or is it, is Jesus telling us that the events will happen so quickly and when God begins to move, it happens quickly. So you're at a, a track meet and you're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting for a race to happen and then, then it's a hundred meter dash and it's over in a matter of 12 seconds. It's all done. But you're waiting on that. Is that the way it's going to be? I mean, it seemed like Moses waited a long time and then he's out of Egypt and, and delivered immediately. It seems like they were waiting for Messiah to come and Jesus comes and death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and it's done quickly. I mean, is that what Jesus is alluding to? Or is he reminding us that the wait will not have seemed long when God answers. Perhaps that. It just won't seem like a long time when God answers. I'd say whether we take like the day as a thousand years or it all happened real quickly or the perspective of eternity, it won't seem that long. I'll be honest, I don't know that all of that helps me emotionally right now. It doesn't necessarily help me wait out a situation that doesn't seem to change now. Maybe I just get so distracted and comfortable that I lose any sort of urgency that life's got a problem anyway. I just kind of make a new normal and I don't pray. I don't think about it. Or maybe what happens in the waiting is we lose heart. God begins to seem so distant. And you begin to lose heart. Like, I don't You start praying more of the God if you're out there. God if you're listening kind of prayers. Maybe this parable would show us we've had the wrong view of God all along. Maybe too many times you've sensed he's more like the judge who knows your pitiful self will always have to throw up a prayer and he's always going to have to answer it. Bail you out again. I think Jesus wants to go to work on our hearts here. Maybe you have the idea that God's in heaven wringing his hands, not knowing what to do next. Maybe your sense is that he's slightly frustrated with you And doubt and disappointment seem to grow with the stress of waiting. You begin to go places in your heart like, I I never thought I'd go here. I never thought I'd be asking these questions about, about God. I never thought I'd be this uninclined to pray. I think this passage is telling us God is not a wringing his hands God. He's an on the edge of his seat God. Not wondering how life's going to figure out, but eager for you to know he cares. Eager for you to cry out. I don't know of any quick solutions to make time go faster. I did think about this, though. I thought about there are times when my kids ask me for things. And I don't give them the answer in the timing they want. And sometimes that's because, it's, it's actually not because the, the request is off. Like, what a... What a dumb request. Actually, know that the request is right. 
It's not that the request is invalid. It's not that I don't care. I care deeply. I do whatever I could. It's not that I don't have power and authority to make a change or to even act. But it has everything to do with timing and wisdom I have and knowledge I have and love I have for them to say, I know you want that answer right now, but it's going to have to wait. And it's going to seem like a painfully long time. If I can understand that there's a chasm between my kids' understanding and my choices to try to do what I can in the best interest of my... Surely I can understand that God's infinite wisdom is going to blow my mind sometimes. I'm going to say, I'm waiting a long time. I'm waiting a long time. And I don't have to go to the chalkboard and go, well, I guess God either doesn't care. I guess he can't do anything about it. I guess he's indifferent. I guess he's mad at me. I sit and I wait. I say, Lord, help. Lord, help. It's kind of, someone's called it the sting in the tail of this parable. Because at the end, like we've been talking about, will God listen? And then it just changes right there at the end in verse 8. The question that Jesus ends this parable on is nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, here's the question, will he find faith on earth? The question is not, Someone has said whether God will respond to our prayers, but whether we will respond to God and trust his faithfulness to fulfill all his promises. Will we have faith? Will we have that combination of humility and a dependent request and trusting awareness of God's power? Will we respond to God's promises that express and demonstrate, I'm convinced they're true? Will we have that kind of response? I don't think there's any clearer expectation or clearer expression of our faith in prayer. So now we we kind of circle back to the beginning. So Jesus told this whole story, ends it with faith, but he told this whole story so that we wouldn't lose heart, so that we'd pray always. We would say things like, Lord, do what you promised to do. Be who you promised to be. Work in me and on me like you have promised to work in me and on me. Preserve me like you have promised to preserve me. Prayer, prayers aren't empty rituals. It's not just kind of a a religious way to practice mindfulness. It's not a formula. It's not a self-help mantra to get us through kind of our our anxiety in the day. It's highly relational. And so this week may be the week where you do what I, I feel like I've needed to do for a long time, and that is hit a reset or a reboot button and say, I need to think about prayer differently. Jesus isn't going to motivate you by guilt. Jesus is going to appeal to you by grace. Jesus isn't going to manipulate you into feeling badly, but he's going to move your heart to say, this unjust judge. We're talking about God who loves to hear you pray to him. He's urging you to pray always and not lose heart this morning. Do you believe him? Will he find us trusting in him? Let me ask you to bow your head. The response is to pray. The response is to call out to him. I'm going to give us a couple minutes to do that. And then the worship team is going to lead us in a song where we talk to God.